0: over the years to 11 or 12. The longer I live, the more blurry photos I've accumulated, along with a few sucker punches from people I once trusted and who did the equivalent of knocking me down to be first in line at the ice cream truck. Age confers this simple wisdom. Don't expose yourself to malarial mosquitoes. Don't expose yourself to assholes. As it turns out, throwing away photos of vassals does not remove them from consciousness. Memory, in fact, gives you no choice over which moments you can erase, and it is increasingly persistent in retaining the most painful ones. It is extraordinarily faithful in recording the most hideous details, and it will recall them for you in the future, with moments that are even only vaguely familiar. With only those exceptions, I have kept all the photos. The problem is, I no longer recognize the faces of many, not the girl in the pool beside me or three out of the four women at a clothes swap party, not those people having dinner at my house. Then again, I have met hundreds or thousands of people in my 65 years. Some of them may have even been important in my life. Yet without conscious choice on my part, my brain has let a lot of moments slide over the cliff. While writing this memoir, I was conscious that much of what I think I remember is inaccurate, guessed at, or biased by experiences that came later. If I were to write this same book five years from now, I would likely describe some of the events differently either because of a change of perspective or worsening memory, or even because new evidence has come to light. That is exactly what happened while writing this book. I had to revise often as more discoveries appeared. I used to think photographs were more accurate than bare memory, because they capture moments as they were, making them indisputable. They are like hard facts, whereas aging memory is impressionistic and selective in details, much like fiction is. But now, having gone through the archives, I realize that photos also distort what is really being captured. To get the best shot, the messiness is shoved to the side. The weedy yard is out of the shot. The images are also missing context the reason why some are missing what happened before and after, who likes or dislikes whom, if anyone is unhappy to be there. When they heard cheese, they uniformly stared at the camera's mechanical eye and put on the happy mask, leaving a viewer fifty years later to assume everyone had a grand time. I keep in mind the caveat that I should question what I see and what is not seen. I use the photos to trigger a complement of emotional memories. I use a magnifying glass to look closely at details in the black and white images in sizes popular in the 1940s and 1950s, squares ranging from one and a half to three and a half inches. They document a progression of Easter Sundays after church and the annual mauling of Christmas presents, which were laid underneath scraggly trees or artificial ones. In old apartments or new tract homes. Some of these photos refuted what I had believed was true. For example, that our family owned no children's books, except one, Chinese fairy tales, illustrated by an artist who made the characters look like George Chikiris and Natalie Wood from West Side Story. A photo of me at age three shows otherwise. I am mesmerized by the words and pictures in a book spread open in my lap. And other photos of that Same day, there is evidence of presents of similar size waiting to be ripped open. I had not known this when I wrote the piece, How I Learned to Read, but it all makes sense that I would have been given books by family friends if not by my parents. As a writer, I am glad to know that my grubby little paws were all over those pages. I came across many photos of me from the ages of one to five looking flirtatiously photogenic, perched in the crook of a tree, looking up from a wading pool, holding a cup with two hands, giving myself a hug, or grinning at the bottom of a playground slide. My father was an amateur photographer.